and they would have gotten away with it if it weren't for those damn kids. In honor of separation, what's cinema's greatest ghost unfinished business? I'm Katie Rich, and I'm going with Hearts and Souls with Robert Downey Jr. because it's many ghosts. I'm Matt Patches, and I think I'm correct to say the ghost with unfinished business in The Sixth Sense is actually Misha Barton. Uh, and Do you my, want to my... see where my father keeps his guns? <laughs> Gross. That's all. That's what I got. Bleh. Hey, it's me, David the Seven, and I'm picking the classic Jack Ferryman of Ghost Ship who wanted to dock so he could take more souls to hell. Because otherwise you got to draw them to the ghost ship, and that's, that's, that's tedious. Ghost ship? More like name? a steaming Ferryman? pile of ghost ship. Yeah, was his name Jack Ferryman before Ferryman. he wound up on a boat, or is that just a coincidence? The Jack Ferryman. I think he's actually like a demon who attaches themselves to like people who hate sin. Oh, he's like or Venom. Shit. Yeah, yeah, because there's something with a little girl as a hook symbol on her head. We should all watch 2002's Let's Ghost watch Ship. Ghost Ship. Hey, you can pick that. <laughs> Jimmy. Sorry. Um, I, now, as soon as anyone mentions Ghost Ship, I just mentally go to the Horatio Sands, Jimmy Fallon, Gene Shalit bit, uh, and I will live there in my head for several weeks to come and maybe emerge for midsummer. Uh, I'm David. Like, I have no answer to this question. Don't we all have unfinished business of our own? Um, I don't know. You said you said the sixth sense. Take a my ghost. Re- just my reflection. Ghost. My my reflective uh, uh, um, personal shopper. What do you think, David? Oh, perfect. Even better than the yeah, answer I was name. going with. Um, but Dave, I will say, uh, after saying personal shopper, why not, is you should you should tell our audience and also your fellow co-hosts what sacrifice is, <laughs> because none of us seem to know. Oh, Separation, the movie? Separation, right. It's there a movie. Case in point. <laughs> <laughs> it is a movie that is opening uh, wide, distributed by Open Road Films, and a horror movie. And the logline is, a young girl finds solace in her artist father and the ghost of her dead mother. So, so you're saying this is the empty man of 2021? I don't, I, I don't know what it is, because I haven't seen it. But who doesn't no want to talk has. about Ghost Ship? Uh, does this movie even have a trailer? I haven't. It's no. my job to know about these things. And I think I did clock that this existed last week, but I didn't get a single email about it. I haven't seen any press. It's opening a 2,000 screens. Interesting. I bet the, it's I bet it's really good. And yet, and yet, just this weekend, in the middle of a pandemic, we just had the single highest grossing opening weekend of an international or non English language film in the history of the American box office. What is happening? It's called Demon oh, yeah. Slayer, baby. It's huge. Yeah, the yeah Demon movie, Slayer. Biggest movie than the Ghibli's than in uh Japan. It is the highest-grossing Japanese film of all time in Japan, uh, and I guess anywhere, and it outgrows Spirited Away. Uh, it's a big deal, Katie. While you were sleeping, I the I box office woke lightning up. Round. <laughs> Listen, there's a lot of context going on this week, and people need to hear about it. Gentlemen, you can't fight in here. This is the war room. Fine, I can hear you now, Dimitri. Clear and plain and coming through fine. I'm coming through fine, too, eh? Good, then. Well, then, as you say, we're both coming through fine. Good. Well, it's good that you're fine, then, and I'm fine. I agree with you. It's great to be fine. It's, it's a podcast. podcast. Hello, and welcome to Fighting in the War Room. It's episode 346. It is Pandemic 58. It is the week of Wednesday, April 28th, 2021. That's the day, the 1966. A reminder that Oscar season's once lasted a long time. Uh, it um, it was the 38th Academy Awards and Sound of Music won Best Picture. 
presumably there wasn't a, a pandemic that made the entire award season seem super long that year, but I can't verify that. Did uh, Glenn Close twerk to the hills are live? It was it was it was Julie Christie actually, and it was to Cab Calloway. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I didn't check beforehand to see if we have uh, any reviews and if David starts talking about his video game, I swear to God. So I hope there's something else in there. Oh, I can't deal. David. Well, the suspense is so thick, you could cut it with a lightsaber. But <laughs> uh, I have some very good news for you, Katie, which is that two of our listeners have given you a stay of execution. Yay. They Not on Conquest Week. I uh, know. Dave, Dave and I made sure to touch base on how the conquest is going. Uh, oh, no, that actually makes me want to ask. This David is question, egregious. I can't, you can't, I can't do, do this. this. No, yeah. no, can't no, do it. By, okay. By anyway, uh, as I was, I was trying to say it, I can't do it because of the bylaws. But uh, Nathan Wayne T says, "Longtime listener, I've been listening since Obama was in office, and I love oh, the boy. show." Leading into the discussion of the father that you all convinced me to watch. With the version of Brain Stew, with all of the Godzilla yelps and meows, is a whole new level of question mark. Keep up the great work. Very helpful. Thank you very much, Nathan Wincy. And Vaughn K says, fantastic and insightful. Hello, all. My journey here started by looking for a podcast about Lost. After rewatching it with my fiance and finding the storm. After burning through all of those episodes, I looked at what else Dave Seven is involved with and found this. I'm now slowly going through all of your back episodes. Last year, I invited a few friends to start a movie of the month club with me where we have a constructive conversation about the film. Your conversations are much more intelligent and thought-provoking than ours. I highly doubt that. And it's really <laughs> helped me as I watch films and discuss. Keep up the great work. And Dave, make sure to keep the energy up throughout the whole show. Come <laughs> oh, yeah. All right. All on Dave. <laughs> That's a storm reference because our shows are two and a half hours long now. Oh, boy. <laughs> Uh, that storm is unabated. Uh, well, thank you very much to Von K and Nathan Wayne T. Uh, if you would like to join their hollowed ranks, go on iTunes and Fighting in the War Room. Leave us a review. We will leave, read it live on the show. Uh, it's a great time for all. You can drop your hot takes about The Father, <laughs> the movie that we all sent you to watch so you could tailspin into depression at the end of April. We'll, we'll, we'll get to the father. We'll, we'll, we'll get to the father again. Oh, boy. All right. Falcon and the Winter Soldier. I <laughs> so don't know a goddamn thing about this show. That's uh, the beginning. Oh yeah, okay, yeah, okay, good. Kate doesn't um, know a goddamn thing. Kate about doesn't know this a goddamn show. thing about Falcon and <laughs> the Winter Soldier. Not Falcon and the Winter Soldier was a p- probably limited series, but possibly could have a second series. It was now, not submitted on, as a limited series to the based Emmys. on Emmy submissions. Um, uh, also, this, based on the ending, they could really use some sort of sequel or second season or movie spinoff something i mean uh, there, there's already been announced that um uh spellman the showrunner on falcon and the winter soldier falcon spellman is going to uh be overseeing the pre-production and script of uh captain america 4 which is just the next captain america movie i don't think it's a chris evans movie but we'll get there 
Falcon and the Winter Soldier picks up with uh, our good friend heroes, titular heroes, Falcon and Bucky the Winter Soldier after the events of Infinity War and Endgame. I think it's like a couple of months. It's after WandaVision, but before Spider-Man Far From Home, for those of you who are keeping a Marvel David was wondering. timeline in your head. David was wondering. so <laughs> thank you for saying that. Those are important. Uh, they are fighting a group of international terrorists, in air quotes, for those of you listening to the podcast, uh, called the Flag Smashers, who have gotten a hold of some illicit super soldier serum and are using it to do horrible things like bring vaccines to refugee camps. Uh, and the Falcon is uh, tasked by the U.S. military to... Is he, to be clear? Is Falcon tasked by the military? It's on, that that has so never been. So Falcon's on a freelance mission with the military when his handler is like fucking around on these dark web websites, air quotes again, for the terrorist <laughs> flag smashers, um, and says like these guys are real bad. You should check them out. Which gets uh, the Falcon on the trail of the flag smashers. What brings Bucky into the fold is before. All of this. You might have remembered at the end of Endgame, um, Anthony Mackie's character was given the shield by Joe Biden and told he was going to be the new <laughs> Captain America. And at the very beginning of this series, he's like, you know, this isn't for me. This is about Steve. We're going to put it in a museum. It belongs in a museum. The old Indiana Jones. And uh, the U.S. government immediately is like, no, and gives it to a veteran uh, from uh, white uh, American veteran of Afghanistan and Iraq who has won several medals of honor and they're like you're the new Captain America now. His name is John. That's how John. His name He's is a John. Good old boy. John Walker. And uh, away we go into this uh, series of weird conflicts uh, that touch on race in America and uh, redlining and bank loans and it's then a spy also thriller. like it's a buddy it, comedy. It's a yeah. We go to Madripoor, the Asian crime city where there are no Asians. Yes, it's it's uh, it was an interesting series that ends ultimately by giving the mantle of Captain America to Anthony Mackie's uh, character oh, yeah, in a way that this show by the way in the way that so, he so they're can, doing it again. Like it ends the same way the Endgame ended. Uh, well, this time he accepts it. And he uh, has he a Captain America-esque costume. I, yeah, I, I Katie, I can't speak for everyone, but after, at the yeah, end of Endgame, you. my takeaway was I, <laughs> I need to see three hours of uh, Anthony Mackie slowly getting to the exact same point in his character's arc that he is at at this very now, moment. Now, hold on. Uh, I, I, so, I ultimately find the show... This show sounds like show, a great investment. You have time. not seen any of it, so let's just be... Let's make the audience known of that fact. You have not seen a single second of this show. Um, uh, and there's a reason for that, because Bucky is in it, is he not? Uh, yes. Yeah, Bucky's, Bucky's yeah, I definitely have, I have a, a very strong anti-Bucky policy. I have concluded after reading oh, every wow. single book... Um, not and other piece of fiction ever published that he is yeah. the most boring character ever created. And I am uh, formally on. abstaining from anything that Bucky is in. At least Good. as somebody who appreciates Sebastian Stan, I feel like that's a little harsh. Yeah, you gotta appreciate some beauty when you see I, it. I will say, with a name like Sebastian Stan, you go a little too hard. He just made a movie where he just has sex in a pool for two hours. You know, go watch that. 
All right, Patches, you were going to defend Falcon and the Winter I was Soldier going to try and make it a comment, but someone who hasn't seen the show piped up. Um, uh, here's my thing. Uh, the show ultimately has nothing to say, and the ending was really unsatisfying to me. But I do see a lot of ambition to try and say something to pack this show full of ideas this the legacy of the show for me will be about like raising questions that maybe a giant brand and a giant mega franchise can't answer for a, too many complicated reasons but at least the show does start from a fr- provocative place david where it's like it's not easy to just be handed the shield the symbol of american heroism and the legacy of steve rogers like you, you can't just become that, especially if you're a black man in America in the year 2021. Um, it's too complicated. And it, and that weighs on Sam Wilson, the character, the Falcon, um, in these early episodes. Uh, he's challenged by this. And it's provocative. And I I wanted even more of that somehow. I, or I wanted it this show to pick a lane, I think, by the uh, adding John Walker uh, to the mix and uh, and having his like white identity be complicated, his veteran status complicating things, and then having the Flag Smashers who we're calling terrorists, but maybe they're not terrorists, but we're fighting them with vigilante justice, and we are, but also warming up to them as friends. <laughs> and um, like internationally tracking them with drones we have names for and therefore don't license to any yeah, country or state. Uh, speaking of the Obama era. And um, yeah, it's just like there's so many ideas. And yet the one, the core of the show, I think by the third or fourth episode, I feel like it was it was really lost and kind of tries to come back around to the idea of like, can a black man in 2021 be Captain America or should there be a Captain America? These are important questions. I, I think the show through the drama of, of John Walker assuming this role being kind of a, a a fake hero or like the idea of a hero that we have personified through uh, the fetishization of, of the military. Like he is a bad Captain America. He murders someone with the shield. He straight up punched like cracks through their skull with the shield and it's soaking in blood. It's like the most obvious image ever, but it's, it's startling. And somehow by the end of the show, Sam Wilson still decides to become Captain America and, and still hold this shield and, and wave this flag. It's a very strange choice. But Dave, how, how did this show navigate these complicated ideas for you? Was there potential here? Did it get pretty far with that potential? Did it? Maybe uh, you loved it. I don't know. I think it had. No, I think it has. I did not love it. Uh, I think it had some potential, but... Uh, in like a but no follow through on any of the issues it brought up, and because of that, it played. We were supposed to be like you know this extended film like extension, uh, because it didn't have say like a Wandavision episodic gimmick, but it played really episodic because it was hard to track people's concerns from one episode to another. At the end, John Walker has like some sort of redemption, but they don't deal with the fact that, you know, he brains someone with the Captain America shield really outside of like stripping him of the title uh, of Captain America. They have uh, Isaiah Bradley, who is from the comics, who is a unwilling super soldier test uh, subject. He's like a Tuskegee Airman. Yeah, basically just a Tuskegee, the Tuskegee Airman, Tuskegee experiments. Yes. Yes. And that, um, So they add that character in, and it's great. But they build that character okay, 
And in the penultimate episode, he straight up tells Sam, like, no self-respecting black man would ever, you know, carry that shield. And the way Sam gets out of it is sort of through a training montage. And then he comes back and he's like, feels all okay with it. Yeah, his retort to that is something to the effect of like, I'm going to, I have to fight for this country that I love. And you do wonder, well, the country that you love experimented on this man sitting in front of you and ruined his life and has now pursued the people that you have deemed not actually terrorists and labeled them terrorists. And then by the end of the episode, he gives like what feels like an hour long monologue about uh, ideas and political action and comes to zero conclusion. Like it's really on us to figure this all out. Um, The show has no belief system. Which well, I, I, I think I its problem is come after they were like, me. yeah, they they want a good villain. Like Marvel needs another good villain. Loki, you know, is doing whatever in his series, but it's essentially dead. Thanos is gone. Like Marvel always had like sort of a villain problem to go with, and so they like I've heard in interviews leading up to this series, they latched on to sort of the Killmonger idea, where it's like have a villain, but have those villains be like understandable. But they overshot this. <laughs> because Falcon and the Winter Soldier, by the nature of being military heroes, by the nature of being heroes tied to patriotism, are symbols of the state. So I'm, I agree with all of the villains here. I agree with the power broker. Oh. I agree let's with talk about uh, the, uh, the flag smashers. Let's talk smashers. about the villain. Let's talk about Carly Morgenthal, the main villain of the show, for one second. because she's Wait, played... the main villain of the show is named Carly Morgenthal? She's named Carly Morgenthal. What's wrong mm-hmm. with Carly Morgenthal? That's the character's like name. My like third grade teacher. Yeah, she is like a third grade teacher. Yeah. I mean, she's played she's by the head of the flag woman, uh, It's just Aaron. not what you expect a Marvel villain to be named. Yes, uh, be named Killmonger and Thanos. And she's played by Aaron exactly. Kellyman, who was in um, Solo, Nest. a Star Wars story. She's oh. this like stunning mixed race woman who has all the authority in the world. As soon as she starts talking, it's really. She she is a great actress, and um, here she's kind of dampered because she just doesn't get enough screen time to become dimensional. But she brings such empathy to the cause of the of the flag smasher. She wants to help people. She wants to feed the unfed. And the, one of the conceits of the show is that after the blip, after everyone disappeared and everyone came back, like everything in the world is fucked up, which is probably true. Like people who moved into a house during the five years when everyone was gone, suddenly a how a, a family like blips back into the house and wonders if they own it anymore. It's like complicated issues that have arisen in this world where people have just went away and then come back um and a lot of them have been underserved by the political system which just does not want to take care of people it can't help everyone as one uh like senator type says out loud in the most didactic way possible uh but carly morgenthal i don't know she's a really compassionate individual and to your point, Dave, she's never villainized in a way that the show kind of needs her to be villainized. Like her whole thing is when Anthony Mackie or when Sam starts confronting her over the issues about like being violent to get these things done. She's she blurts out things that she doesn't mean to say, wait, I, I mean, I, I, I wouldn't kill or I don't want to kill again. Um, and they, they the only way they can villainize her is to like make her 
what she's not and make her yeah. say things and like manipulate her. Well, because the, the reality to is convince her she's an awful person or something. The reality is this is sort of a spoiler, but also like who cares? Every single hero in this story murders somebody on screen at some point in the <clears throat> series. And then we're told like, oh, she killed people. She crossed the line. I'm like, where's the fucking line? Anyway, Falcon and the Winter Soldier, weird characters to pick to focus on a series on in the first place. I think a valiant idea to Where try something. Where was the something. buddy comedy aspect? They kept talking about like 48 hours of yeah, weapon I've... in the lead up to this show. And there is not enough Falcon and the no. Winter Soldier in the Falcon and Winter Soldier show. There's no chemistry no. there. It's very weird. Because I think the chemistry exists between the two actors. The chemistry doesn't exist between the two right. characters. Right. If Falcon and Winter Soldier had done a junket during the show, that yeah, would have been yeah. hilarious. And well, if Tom and basically, Holland had been there. The, that's the most joyous part at the very end of the last episode is they're just hanging out, basically doing a junket for a whole bunch of non-white that's people. True. And it's like, and the show. Anyway, Falcon yeah. and the Winter Soldier. It's on Disney+. Plus. Julia Louis-Dreyfus is in it. Uh, stream it when you want to figure out why. Emphasis Nest, coolest helmet ever. Very cool helmet. Although Is Flag she Smasher, Carly Morgenthal? Yeah. yeah. That's, that's Carly mm. Morgenthal. She has a cool mask in this one, too. She does. Flag Smashers did nothing wrong. Test your might. Test your might. Uh, I want to be clear that we're about to talk about Mortal Kombat, which I was told was going to be on next week's show. So I haven't seen it, but that is not delinquency on my part. I just want to be clear about that. That's true. We we slid it up because we discovered that actually there's not a ton to say about Mortal Kombat, um, but there will be one big question. I'm going to get to the heart of it real quick so that David can pop off in a good way, listeners, in a good way. Um, Mortal Kombat. Dun, 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 dun. Okay. So- Mortal Kombat. Mm-hmm. It's good that you scream Mortal Kombat because here's the thing. When you make a Mortal Kombat movie, you want to see people get plucked from their universes, the multiverse, and assemble to fight in a Mortal Kombat tournament. Uh, the new Mortal Kombat movie, it's got Sub-Zero. It's got Scorpion. It's got Liu Kang. It's got Kano. It's got Cole Young, the new guy. Uh, Sonya <laughs> Blade's there. Uh, <laughs> all of the f- characters you love, they're all getting smashed into this scenario where they're gonna fight it raiden is there uh shang sung he's stealing souls it's all the pieces you want they're fighting each other there's fatalities they're ripping each other apart here's the thing they don't they don't combat they don't mortal combat there's no mortal combat tournament in this movie so my question i was unaware mortal kombat had a preseason. They and had a preseason. I... the idea of this movie is that yes there will be a mortal combat tournament to save earth Except Shang Tsung and his troops, uh, mostly Sub-Zero, are picking people off before the tournament in order to, I guess, if you are dead, you can't fight the tournament or to, like, lower the standards of Earth Team. It's like (laughs) the ultimate Nancy Kerrigan situation and Tanya Harding is, Sub-Zero is Tanya Harding and he's bashing people uh, before they get to the Olympics. It's kind of it's weird. It's like if LeBron James went and murdered everyone in the G League yes. before, like... Exactly. <laughs> but, like, you still want to see the finals. You still you know, want to see the play. I really appreciate the angle that you're taking here, but I have to... I, I do uh, take umbrage with your tone, which is way too measured for what has to be the single most baffling oversight or creative decision <laughs> in the history of uh, creative storytelling. What the 
actual pig fuck was anyone thinking? And don't tell me out there that it's a Mortal trilogy, Kombat- David. That's what I'm told. <laughs> They're getting I mean, to the Mortal Kombat. The, the second movie does not make any hard promises about there being a tournament in that either. And it's not as if they simply elided the tournament, even though that in and of itself would be a catastrophic error, because that is... I mean, Mortal Kombat is literally the name of the tournament, but I digress. Uh, the whole movie is about the fucking tournament that never happens, that just sort of punt down the road. It's not like they just pivot directly into this uh, proto-Avengers thing, or neo-Avengers thing, as we're after, and that's how words work. Uh, but we, cause what all franchises are trying to do these days, um, and this one bends over backwards to Avengerize the Mortal Kombat universe. But uh, no, they have to make the tournament a massive plot point, so you really feel the absence of this tournament. It is... At, like, I was an hour and 40 minutes of this movie being like, wow, we should really get into the tournament at some point. Yeah, the plot <laughs> is really non-existent. I mean... I was like, oh, there's uh, five minutes left. I guess that's not happening. Um, but it's fucking insane. And, and yeah, I mean, so, like, the argument to me that some of the people on the internet, because, of course, there are stands for everything. As people learned on the internet last night, there are Anthony Hopkins stands. And if there are stands for an 83-year-old white Welshman, uh, there are certainly stands for Smash. a. Uh, Have you seen his Instagram, David? We'll get it's to gr- this. It's, his Instagram is fantastic, but it's not. It's, it's not that his Instagram does not deserve a fandom. It's that they has he has stands the way that like Ariana Grande has stands that they will fucking come for you if you uh, dare slight him, and that's the difference. Mortal Kombat certainly has those. Um, they all wear a color swapped the same suit, just in, in purple and <laughs> gray and yellow. I mean, and it's blue. a great time for a Mortal Kombat movie. We're all wearing masks, and we can all wear different True. colored ones to tell which uh, are we a reptile? Are we smoke? Are we rain? <laughs> God, reptile gets done dirty in all of these movies. I can't believe reptiles in this movie. He, by the way, they fight a big lizard, Katie, and his name is Reptile. I and, saw a big uh, lizard movie. I don't need another one. I'm good. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's possible that the Goro effects have actually gotten worse <laughs> in the last 25 years. But um, There's a Godzilla the, argument to that, too. There was a man in suit in the 95 movie, and now it's a full CG Goro. I mean, the suit that he was wearing in the 95 movie... For. Is insane. Now he's all CG. He looks just like Abomination from the fucking Hulk movie. Could not and tell it's you how, awful. why he shows up in the movie. He just bursts out of like There's a cabin no in reason. the woods. I don't remember. I mean, the, f- the whole first 40 minutes of this movie is like, great, we're building a team. We're going to the tournament. We're going to have a training montage. And then the training montage just slowly unravels into the entire rest of the movie as they try to interfere with the tournament from this happening. Movie but people have been up in my cheap. mentions. It's cheap. Yeah, yeah. But people have been up in my mentions about how the games themselves, uh, of course, the the most complex narratives that we are currently telling in any medium, uh, have been moving away from the tournament in recent years. And <laughs> while I guess that's true to some degree, it, that argument holds zero water for me, in part because of what I was saying Look, earlier. Look, here's the thing. The South by Southwest, it's not tournament. just a music festival anymore. It's also there's interactive <laughs> elements, there's activations. Mortal Kombat's the same thing. You can say it's about the tournament, but it's really about the periphery where all the activities are happening. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, I man, mean, this movie, I can't wait to be activated for Mortal Kombat. <laughs> I just felt... Get over <laughs> here at the T-Mobile station. <laughs> Remember when there was that movie, like The Devil and something, a few years ago that ended essentially... Oh, with the like, go to the without, website? Yeah, go to the website. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's how I felt watching... Go like, play I was, the game, stupid! <laughs> I was perfectly entertained by the first, like, 30 minutes of this movie, and then, like, slowly my interest was waning as I was like, wow, this 90-minute uh, training montage is, is really pressing as Didn't luck. you like when Jax got his hands frozen and ripped off? That was fun. Okay, like but we uh, also Kung do need Lao to his hat we need to address how Sub Zero in in a game or in a movie adapted from a game series that is literally famous for fatalities for 
ultra gory gratuitous kill scenes that leave absolutely no question as to whether or not the loser of a fight is dead Sub-Zero has this bizarre penchant for just leaving everyone assuming they're dead. He just, like, knocks Jax off a thing after ripping up with his arms off, and he looks down at him, and he's like, nah, I bet he's dead, walks away. Oh, and then he does that a few hundred years earlier in Japan. I mean, Sub-Zero, read your material. Games, you can kill someone with a fatality, and then they can be played again. It's just like the games, in a way. Wow. Um, <laughs> well, wait, don't the games have Mortal Kombat? Oh, yeah, that's true. They do have Mortal Kombat! <laughs> <laughs> uh, What's the verdict I mean, on like, Mortal Kombat? Is this, the, is the this ultimate, stupid fun? The, is it? No. I mean, the, the real takeaway here, the real takeaway here is, is what I was alluding to earlier about the Avengerization of all modern franchises. And I think this is the most egregious example of that that I've yet seen. There's another one coming this week that is not quite as dire, but um, does a similar thing. They're all trying to be these origin stories. They're all trying to, to build off that same energy. And Mortal Kombat is a tournament movie. It owes so much more at its essence to Bloodsport than it does Avengers Infinity War. And there was a way to make a... Uh, cinematic universe out of that that's still tournament driven that still actually um, allows these characters to thrive one-on-one rather than talk tossing them into this elaborate soup of a narrative that's just reheated from or maybe fewer characters like don't you think sub-zero and scorpion could have held this movie prop this movie up like yeah it could have been a two-hander about sub-zero and scorpion in a room together trying to talk through their problems or fighting or saying get over here whatever like those characters the, the movie opens with their duel, and I'm thinking, oh, we're actually going to lean into the epic battle between the guy in the yellow suit and the guy in the blue suit. <laughs> it's, it's, it's really fascinating stuff. But it is something that as someone, you know, the Mortal Kombat lore is baked into my brain. I was like, I would watch 90 minutes of trying to uh, tease out some backstory there. And then instead, immediately, once the movie cuts to the premise, it's like, no, we're not going to deal with that. Instead, we get Cabal. Everyone but wanted you, to see Cabal. You he are complicit, Matt Patches. You interviewed. When you, when you interviewed the screenwriter, had you seen the film? So, the yeah, uh, yeah. Wow. You Why? are carrying the devil's water for him. What? Uh, <laughs> because I asked him questions about making this ridiculous you movie? You didn't take him to task. You didn't rake him across the goals. He's not the devil. He seems like a good, hardworking guy. Don't blame I'm the sure screenwriter. I'm I'm sure if you're a screenwriter of a Mortal Kombat movie, your first question is like, when we get to the Mortal Kombat, right? You no, know, he so was. I'm not uh, going to blame him. He was really actually candid about you know the the limits of what he could do to the story um, and his role. And it was actually a really fascinating interview and worth reading. The only really despairing part is at the end when he's talking about how excited he is for the Space Invaders movie that he's been pitching. <laughs> that uh, that <laughs> went viral. I couldn't. I, I saw someone tweet that and it blew up. Uh, he is very sincere about the Space Invaders movie. Good for him. He's very sincere about Mortal Kombat. I think there is something to be made out of this franchise or this property. It's not totally this movie. This movie is more milk toast than I expected. Um, but I do think there's there's something here. The fights could be have a little more weight. The the drama could have a little more weight. Everything could have a little more weight. I don't know. Is this ridiculous fun? I'm too tired. Get over here. Get over here. Get over here. Toasty. It sounds very romantic. Get over here. Get over here. <laughs> this song is called I Am Sad, So Very, Very Sad. Thank you. This next one's called We Hate You, Please Die. Uh, well, you guys, the Oscars happen in a train station. Um, mm-hmm. 
<laughs> there were a lot of things. <laughs> the Polar Express. You, you, saying, you saying that sentence to me like 18 months ago and trying <laughs> to figure out like what it's code for. I've been, uh, because next week on Little Bell Men, we're doing our 2022 Oscar predictions. I've been re-listening wow. to last year's uh, version where we did the 2021 Oscar predictions and it is uh, it is dire. We did not know what was ahead of us. Uh, anyway, the Oscars happened. They did them in person, uh, even though everything has been on Zoom. And um, I think we will get into the pros and cons of how that all worked out. But I would say it was an undisputed good idea to try to do something in person. They COVID tested everybody. It was a small crowd. They set up the, I don't know, you guys probably know. You guys probably watched the Oscars. Um, and then it ended. And that's the only thing anybody's going to talk about because all of a sudden uh, they put Best Actor at the end thinking Chadwick Boseman would win. And he didn't. And then Joaquin Phoenix like just wandered off the stage because... Joaquin Phoenix clearly did not want to be there and is not. This kind of reminds me of the end of Mortal Kombat where it's just like, (laughs) wait, the combat. (laughs) The third of it. I just feel Um, like of all the years uh, where you sort of got to get out of having to be at the Oscars free pass, uh, Joaquin Phoenix really... Really, I uh, think forfeited that they opportunity. clearly cracked some skulls because, like, Anthony Hopkins offered wow. to zoom in. Apparently, and they told they told him no. They got all of last year's winners were there to present. Yeah, right. Yeah, Renee Zellweger was there. Who was who won supporting Joaquin. actor last year? But they had uh, them present. Laura Dern and they, had, they usually oh, have them present oh, the opposite yeah. sex. But yeah, this well, year yeah, they, they had. Well, I thought that was hit, weird too. Yeah, they no, they did it. So Brad Pitt presented to Yu Jung-yun and Laura Dern to Danny Kaluuya, but then they did it for they switched up for late. I don't know. shade for Renee Zellweger. They did not <laughs> want Renee Zellweger closing the show. Well, they should can have I, just had Rita Moreno close the show because she was presenting us a picture. But can I just say a quick statement to to chum the waters and let this conversation start? Oh boy, which which is uh, <laughs> listen, I I. Um, my feel it was interesting. It was always going to be an interesting show, and I'm glad that they took some chances with it. But in the decision to hire Steven Soderbergh as one of the three, not the sole producer, as he's obviously and inevitably getting credit for being on Twitter, but one of the three producers of the show, I, I, I just, in hindsight, and maybe also in foresight, uh, I'm not sure if hiring someone who literally gave a speech seven years ago about how the movies are dead to produce a show that for all intents and purposes exists to bring the sort of grandeur and a sense of permanence to uh, the old Hollywood (laughs) pedigree to the modern world and canonize these films was the right decision uh, because Soderbergh gonna Soderbergh and he Soderbergh a little too hard. Uh, Here's, all right, <laughs> in this I'm, gonna, and I'm throwing a, up my counter argument before I let other people talk because I've talked a lot about the Oscars. Obviously, I think Soderbergh's kind of my guess, like what it feels to me, is that he made the case to lean into the stripped down setting. He made it look like a cocktail party. He made it look like they were all sitting at like the Copacabana in 1945. He Ocean's Eleven it in a way. Okay, like, he gonna, made brought retro modern. Yeah, I mean, without leaning too hard into it, but basically I think what made it successful to me is that if you'd had dancers, if you'd had giant sweeping montages in the show, and then cut back to like 35 people sitting on these tables, it would have felt weird. You couldn't make something that felt like it was happening in the Dolby Theater under these circumstances, so they made it feel intimate, like a cocktail party, insidery. Like they had, instead of showing the people's work, they had the presenters talk to the people and sweep over the cameras. Like they made it look like they were covering an event rather than having an event that was like broadcast as a television spectacle. And I don't think that's what the Oscars should always do, but I think for these circumstances, it was a choice that made sense. It was more successful. I agree with that. that. I think in essence, in essence, uh, it was 
a bold gamble. It was probably necessary. And I think um, in broad strokes, in terms of the location and to a certain degree how they shot it, it worked out. I think, um, you know, it didn't need to be as extreme in terms of just keeping the, the ambience of that room. Um, I do think that it uh, the, the lack of clips was not a foregone conclusion. You could have had clips and still had that vibe. Um, I actually honored the movies in a way, particularly in the year where the movies are lower profile and so many people out there hadn't seen them. To get even a glimpse of some of these movies would have been uh, really persuasive to a lot of people out there. I also think... And I, and I know that the show is probably cognizant of one, not wanting to copy too much of what other more recent award shows have done, like the Grammys and whatnot. But um, when the only real comment over the course of the night about where the movies live, and not just the Oscars in that bizarre you know, Brian Cranston segment, uh, was by Frances McDormand right before she howled at the moon. And she was talking about, you know, the desire to see Nomadland and all the films that were nominated on big screens. And like, what a bizarre and perverse and very Soderberghian uh, in a way that I found kind of spiteful and offensive (laughs) uh, decision to have not just little emphasis, but an almost negation of movie theaters as the lifeblood of this industry. And I mean, um, I don't think the intention is malicious as as you make it sound, but I do think Soderbergh Soderbergh is this experimental. He's he's making a movie. He made, he tried to make a movie out of, out of this telecast and it I had its don't really own cinema get to grab. what that other than the Regina King intro I didn't get that well, where did well, you see that I will tell you where I saw okay. that I mean from the <laughs> very beginning from the cinematography but not just the opening intro but the way it's filmed I think it would be hard to integrate clips of the movies into the show because of the way it was filmed and the way the quality of the digital photography I think does not align with like clips of all every nature whereas a Opposed to like the big, bright, li- brightly lit theater setting that the Oscars is usually in, really complements just integrating anything into it. Um, but the clips the- could have been non traditional. They could have been uh, cool they? montages. They could have been supercuts. They could have been uh, reenact. I mean, who the fuck knows? They could have been. This was the year to fuck around, and and for better or worse, they did. But even to, to but- just deny what the movies are i mean this entire broadcast you could but again what medium are they celebrating he is orchestrating drama in his own way he wanted to make a movie that was as you said katie which is like this kind of cocktail party this old version of the of the oscars that actually used to happen when it was like a big dinner in a big ballroom somewhere that's what it felt like it felt like him this is his mank this is steven soderbergh's mank in some way um, and Katie, did it feel like to you like being movies. at like the New York Film Critics Circle Awards? Wait, hang on. Let's had, let Pat just finish this question. No, Come it's, on, it's fine. It's that I mean that is the point, which is oh, yeah, I yes, thought that I thought that he had being, gotten where he needed it's to go. Being in the room, it's being it is not for the audience at all, and that was the goal. That's the movie he was making. Uh, we yeah, have it did make me events think, like this, right? Yeah, it did make me think of the New York Film Critics Circle Awards. Although I will say, I did feel for the people at these tables because they weren't. They didn't have drinks or dinner. Like they were just stuck at these cocktail tables, but like patiently waiting on camera. And when you're in the Dolby, it's like you're at, you know, like the opera or whatever, the, or Broadway, and you can like sneak out to the bar. Like I think they could like go in and out and go to that party that was outside. But like if you're Carrie Mulligan in your giant gold dress, like I don't know if you do that. Um, but yes, that, that vibe of like being in the room, like speaking to the people who are there, people like some interaction with each other, although maybe not as much as I would have liked. Um, you know, and, but I think the New York Film Critics Circle dinner is more fun because it's not televised. And I don't think you can get around that with the Oscars. 
Well, you can't give out Paul Thomas Anderson's phone number or uh, whatever <laughs> Tiffany Haddish did that one time. <laughs> um, or whoever was giving out someone's phone number. It's all memory now because I was so drunk, which is something that none of the people at the Oscars could have been. I did think yeah. it was interesting how different the reactions to the show were, at least in my feed, where some people were like, they loved every second of watching actors or craftspeople, the, these extended segments where we're, we're talking IMDb trivia on each nominee uh, and, and really revering the craft. It reminded me, it didn't go so well for me after like the first or second uh, batch of those nominees. It really kind of wore me out, um, even though I love this stuff. I love hearing people talk about the movies and the works uh, work of craft people. But I, I was just having a conversation with someone um, setting up an interview where it's like, should we, we're talking to a screenwriter. Well, my note to a lot of the people I work with are like, if you talk to a screenwriter, the more you talk about craft the more boring it is for most people. Like most people don't give a shit about craft. And I understand that this ceremony was for the people of Hollywood, but the more you go on and on about like the process and like talking about acting, there's not a lot to say about acting or like how movies are made. That is interesting. It just, well, that's the value of clips that David's saying, or like with, you know, sketches or something like that. Soderbergh knows as well as any person alive how to make that stuff dynamic and interesting and fold it next to reality, whether it's split screens or, or you know, heisting. Oh, it should have been split screens. Yeah. I mean, you can heist uh, some clips into the show or out of the show, whatever. I will say that, you know, as harsh as I sound and negative as I sound about the broadcast as a whole, um, expectations were for something different. This was a unique year, and the show um, was going to reflect that as the Grammys had before them, and to a much more pathetic extent, the Golden Globes. And uh, I was on board with a lot of the decisions that were made over the course of the night, just because, you know, I you can't really put yourself in the headspace of having to reimagine this August show from the ground up in uh, a train station. And uh, I... It was, I think, so much of my attitude towards the the show as a whole was just soured by the last 15 or 20 minutes. Um, and I probably would have had much, a much kinder, you know, take on the, the whole Game thing of Thrones of Oscar telecast. We sound the spoiler yeah. gong for the Oscar telecast. Yeah. Dave should talk. <laughs> oh, yeah, no, I think it was solid. And I mean, I, my, my complaints are about the voting body as per usual. Like, the show was fine. Like Thomas Vinterberg up there getting best, you know, that's the show working. And that's mm-hmm. why I was like, in the first third, I'm like, oh my God, this is going to be great. Like a four re- minute speech. Uh, I mean, yes, that would be great. Having the, the open-ended speeches was uh, something yeah. that they probably won't be able to do again, not, but it was beautiful. Not cutting people off. That's amazing. Mm-hmm. The biographies. Yeah. It might've been like a little boring, but honestly, I'm always a little bored during that part of the Oscar <laughs> broadcast. It's not its fault. Like, in terms of what it needed to execute and how it needed to execute it, I think it was very successful. And any sort of, like, dull things that happened, uh, I think just happened because, like, the people were dull, man. You can't, you can't, you can't account for that. But, like, be better people. Yeah. Like, if, if they were able to close out with the Chad with Bozeman the way they opened, with the Tops Wittenberg stuff, then yeah, that format would have kicked ass. But that it like Katie was sort of, or I guess everybody was sort of alluding to 
that's all about like uh it as a broadcast and it is a presentation in which case i think it tried something and you know it didn't work out and why didn't it work out because the voting bodies fucking uh, maybe I, wait, what? I disagree with this i really do I, I i feel like even if chadwick boseman had won it still would have been a real fucking mistake uh to to do it the way they did it, it's you know oh i listen, agree we are all we are all uh, uh i think this is a really snobbish movie opinion I, I mean, I was, I'm literally about, um, this is my preamble into saying we are all obsessed with these negligible petty things in this world that don't matter. We are on this, uh, rock in the, in the cosmos for only so long and, and the stuff only matters because we, uh, our mortal lives have to choose these things to focus on. But, uh, that being said, I found it deeply sacrilegious to not do <laughs> best picture last. I'm, um, I'm with you. Yeah. I'm totally with you. And, yeah, and, uh, it, and also to have Rito Moreno like, there not, as if they planned it for the last thing yeah. and to have like. It also does not make sense fundamentally. And I don't think that's a film snobbish thing as much as I find some romance in the way that these orgias lead up to their. It's just climax, a logical order. It's like a logical prize. thing. Yeah. It's the, you, why celebrate an ingredient after the dish itself. I mean, it just doesn't make sense to me um, at all. And it feels like a bridge too far, like a real Soderbergh, you crazy for this one. Um, and uh, as I, as I tweeted when it happened, I mean, it was a real triple fuck up for me because uh, not only did you have this, this sense of, okay, I guess now we're building up to this tribute to Chadwick Boseman, um, which didn't happen. And so you feel like, you know, this, this hollowed name that wasn't really spoken over the course of the night. It was all waiting, like never happened. Anthony Hopkins giving the single best performance of his entire career, uh, goes straight into the annals of what the fuck history because, and it's always going to have a weird asterisk next to it because the show cuts to black with a Joaquin Phoenix shrug. And it'll never uh, have uh, a weird asterisk next to it. I disagree. I, yeah, I, I, it's really? not with Donald Trump losing the popular vote. It's a bad ending to a television show. I mean, unlike Donald Trump, all, I, yeah, I, I'm with you on the stakes. I'm just saying that it feels like yeah, it yeah, didn't no, no. Happen. You started off in a great place where we're all on our own island, but then you ramped up to this is like a war crime, and so I'm pulling you back down the mountain a little bit. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, you know, I, I have suggested over the past 24 hours that certain people appear before The Hague, but that's as far <laughs> as I'm willing to go. Um, <laughs> and... Uh, and it just felt like a huge moment of deflation. And then Nomadland didn't really get the coronation that as a Best Picture winner, it is uh, entitled to. And it just, it really, uh, in a year where so much of the DNA of the show had been fucked with for good cause, because that's what needed to happen this year, that just felt like uh, a bridge too far in Here's- a way that uh, completely... I, I acknowledge it, and I think we all, you know, watch the show and have seen the reaction to it now. What I, I guess my devil's advocate argument to that is, we are the ones who, by continuing to focus on this, are actually disrespecting Nomadland. Like, this happened, it was bad, it probably means the Academy, like, you know, obviously voted for, like, the white leads instead of the black leads, 
and uh, there's a weird miscommunication in production. But the reality is, No Man Land won. And Chloe Zhao won. But do you think that people yeah. when you go to the Wikipedia the entry, the... they're not going to put Best Actor and Best Actress above Best Picture? It's nothing. Anyone who's referenced the Moonlight La La Land debacle of the last four years has been implicitly putting down Moonlight, even though we all know that film won. No, I mean I think for me it's 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 a similar thing where it's like it's still. Uh, it's not an asterisk in that it's like a less than, you know, uh, Anthony Hopkins isn't like less than any of the other best actor winners because of the nature by which his award was presented. Nor it just, is No Man it, Land it, you're, we're talking about, But we're talking about this show as a product, as a as a program. Yes. Um, you know, and it, to that end, uh, dramatically, it was a massive cock up. And the difference was <laughs> that the Moonlight... Nomadland situation, <laughs> the Moon- Moonlight La Land situation was really exciting TV with a triumphant yeah, yeah. ending. You yes. know, it ends on this most incredible climax and this incredible movie and the story, a uh, $4 million movie besting these major Hollywood players, uh, the, the entire black crew and cast, and it was just incredible. Uh, and it's also a masterpiece. And what, what a thing. Um, I just think this is a great this piece was of entertainment. kind of the opposite of that. <laughs> it, no, but it is the fucking Academy. They kick a whole bunch of homeless people out of Union Station, they block it off for disabled disabled access for a week and then they throw a whole bunch of movie stars in there that stuff is fucked and then they're like we're gonna talk about tyler perry they give tyler perry who's famously anti union and a humanitarian award and at the end they're like and now we're gonna show not racist we are oops and then the show's over like that's that's the academy yeah the 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 telecast this year definitely had the vibe of a of a brand tweet if you will yeah yeah (laughs) (laughs) yeah like wait wait one quick thing on the disability access. You said the stage did have a ramp for the first time ever because this is something people have complained about for years that the Dolby oh, Theater's only steps. Oh, and so I wonder, I imagine that I meant disability, disability no, no, no. access to Union Station. With, like people actually using the train station, yeah, which yeah. is much more important, but I just wanted to give them that shout out. No, they were, did very, and they also did very good with letting everybody know what their COVID things were and that they were keeping up with it. And presumably, if they were, if the, if the show had gone long, was the like 11 12 from Fresno going to roll in? <laughs> Like, ah, I'm the Oscar now. Full inception. Yeah, I, I mean, I think it was like a uh, if you're if you're gonna uh, in in the same any creative aspect, if you're gonna you know shoot for the moon and whiff that badly after like getting so close, I'm, I, I can't be mad at it. I can't I can't be mad at the shuffling of Best Picture because up until then it was doing something and maybe attempting it. For instance, if. The butt was real. The segment. <laughs> if the, the butt, butt was real, <laughs> yes. that's amazing. If the butt segment was written, it was executed amazingly. So Dave, I can feel I like admit something. Can yes. I admit something to you? Please. I'm, do. I'm ashamed. I'm ashamed to admit this in public, but uh, I, in the moment, because of the power of cinema, because of Soderbergh's craft uh, and Glenn Close's incredible Oscar unrecognized talent, uh, thought that the butt was real. I, While it was happening, I was like, what, moment. what? And then she repeated the, like, whatever got bleeped out earlier. And I'm like, oh, it's a callback line. This was a bit. And I'm like, that's one of the most successful bits about things going wrong and Glenn Close saving it that I've ever seen, you know, in our house. Also, it's like no Andrew Day's reaction to Purple Rain was so yeah. genuine. <laughs> yeah. And, and so, like, they really they had the setup because they rooted it in this place of reality. Sort of like... Uh, Steven Soderbergh in Ocean's 12, you know, doing the Julia Roberts gambit, kind of, if you should sure. squint. Wow. Um, but, um, this is the bubble of, uh, Steven of, Soder- of Yeah, it was, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Get some but real people in there. 
there's a whole bunch of successful stuff. There's stuff that didn't work out, but is it any more or less than like other Oscar ceremonies? No, I think it's just kind of in it's there. It's just the mag. Maybe I, I I feel like I can get Katie to agree with me on this. That it's just the I agree with the spirit of what you're saying, Dave. It's just this particular cock up is so perverse. It's I mean, frustrating it's because so it was so obvious. Un- it didn't have to happen. Like it could could it could have been like it would have been. A shock and like possibly a shame for Chadwick Boseman not to win, kind yeah. of, no matter when it happened. It did not have to be the final thing that happened in the show. Like that was, it felt the like audacity. they didn't have a backup plan if Chadwick Boseman didn't win, which is deranged. I, see, I, I feel just like think it's more than a, if he wins that sword, it's a mess. It's a mistake. I mean, it's an unforced error, I guess. But I feel like if this entire show was set in the DC fandom, we would have been so disgusted by the end, it would have been like, of course you didn't now put this picture at the end. We could have, <laughs> I also, as I someone who, I know complaining about the Adam? In Memoriam, I do, I do want to see In Memoriam, Glenn Close doing the button. Are you still fandom. talking about the DC fandom? <laughs> yeah, I, yeah. Yeah, they are. They are. Yeah. I kept trying to slip into the gaps there, but there was just Don't the go. DC fandom kept foiling me. <laughs> We're talking about uh, Shazam as, too here. As someone who... I, I've never really gotten heated about in memoriam montages, who's left out, who's included, whatever, uh, even though it's, you know, annual sport on the uh, commentariat side of things. I, again, to celebrate something the Grammys did, and the Grammys are working in a different medium, but like the Grammys in memoriam montage this year, if you can call it a montage, was was phenomenal. I mean, it was, yeah, like it was this great. real piece of filmmaking um, and that incorporated live and pre-taped elements uh, and to see Steven Soderbergh, of all people, not only whiff on that, but whiff harder than it usually does in an average Oscar broadcast. Very strange. By just picking a song that happened to have a fast tempo and deciding they had to stick to that. So they were just going to cut everything like they were making my fucking super. It was like watching and, like, an iPhoto montage go rogue or something. I just like, thought oh, they shit. were trying to fit There's in the- more people. So I was hot. not. I was not really that bothered by it. Uh, yeah, they got a I lot of people know. in there. Yeah. A lot of people. Died. They did get a lot of people in there, but it's I been I would a big year have... for death. I don't know if you guys heard. <laughs> yeah. Jesus Christ! But it yeah. ends. It's sort of like that. Uh, do you guys remember that Devil movie from a few years ago that ended with a link to? <laughs> oh, a the website? one where they go to the website. <laughs> the, yeah, thanks. yeah. The the in memoriam montage this year ends, and maybe they've done this before. Katie, you would remember better than I. But they oh, they end with a link um, to go, and I I didn't follow the link, but I assume. That it's just uh, the uh, link to watch yeah, the montage Oscars. again. Oscars.org um, slash I see dead people. Right. <laughs> uh, and, but my first thought when I saw that was, oh, is that a link to like all the people they they wanted to include? Like the full list. Uh, oh, and in which case I was like, well, you know, I, I would have rather uh, something that was a, a real piece of work that celebrated slightly fewer people and then still left the door open to go online and see a you know, fuller window of all the people Katie, the last year. Did you have um, favorite parts of this telecast? Did you have things well, you Well, I was just going to say, speaking of uh, produced musical uh, things, the uh, the songs in the pre-show, and I recognize that this is controversial because the pre-show was not available entirely outside the United States, I don't think, and a lot of people didn't know they were coming, but they played all five of the nominated songs in full, which, like, in the case of the Diane Warren song, which is awful, was, you know, kind of <laughs> interminable, but, like, the Who's the song... The Husevik song fucking ruled. It was That's so great. great. And that, that never could have happened at the regular Oscars. They, they filmed it in like, Iceland. Yeah. No, of course they did. They filmed it in the world Husevik with those adorable Icelandic children in their sweaters. They look so cozy. Wait, when you say it never could have happened in the real Oscars, what about it? The Oscars the don't take place in Iceland. It? 
Other than the fact that they filmed it in Iceland, what about it couldn't have been done? You can't set up fireworks outside or inside. Um, no, I mean, yeah, obviously they could have done it in, in the real, in the auditorium, but like the scenery added so much to it. The huge, and you know, they, the hugeness of it, which was what was missing from this year's Oscars entirely. And like I said, I think by design, um, was so present in that. And then all the other performances on the rooftop are great too. Like her had the, I said that like the second best of the nominated songs and she's the one who won and her performance was great. Um, so I was just excited about that, that there was like that between that and the speeches, they took the time. Like they, the ratings were terrible. Everyone knew the ratings were going to be terrible. It was the first Oscars in a long time that didn't feel like it was constantly being like, wait, no, no, sorry, we're a four-hour award show. I know, it's so lame. Like, we're going to wrap it up soon, I promise. Like, it just lived in its time. And they I had to really pad it. That. They had to let the speeches, the reason that they let the speeches go on as long as they needed to is because they were afraid the show wouldn't be long enough to reach the three-hour mark. Well, that's a twist. That's what. That's what. How Lil Ralph felt when he showed up. Fifteen minutes over. Did they? Yeah, it ended at like eleven fifteen. Glenn Close did debut for too long. Um, Also, there were great. There were great wins. Daniel Kaluuya and Yu Jung Yun were great uh, wins, and the documentary short Colette was really great. What else? I love Soul. I was happy to see John Baptiste give a speech, and then uh, Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross standing behind him like they were bodyguards with their hands. Soul, Soul winning over Wolf Walkers was a real low. Oh low come on! You knew that was going to yeah. happen. I actually, you know, it was certainly what I would have put money know. on, but it did not seem like a foregone conclusion. Like no man winning this picture. Foregone. I mean, no, it's interesting. Um, it was. Um, and it's, but maybe and that's like, just my head. I don't know. Dave, what you were saying about like the Academy trying to prove it's not racist, and then kind of whipping it like. <laughs> I think it's a really complicated question about why Travis Bozen didn't win and maybe to a lesser extent Viola Davis because I think she and Frances McDormand and maybe Cara Mulligan were really just neck and neck. Um, but the four acting winners were, are really great. Like it's a it's four really phenomenal performances that won and that doesn't always happen. Um, and I feel like that's really worth celebrating. Yeah. yeah. It's I, not uh... that they were super racist. It's just they got <laughs> caught pretending they weren't racist which is well, like there was this narrative that like the academy didn't start but like you know they don't start all of them this like this could be the year that there are four actors of color who win and like it could have happened and it didn't and like the the fact that the expectation was set is where so much of this disappointment is coming from which is fair and the fact that only still only one black woman has won best actress ever and only two black men i think um, those stats have to change like that. It didn't necessarily have to happen this year, but it was, it's disappointing that it felt like it was close and then it didn't happen. Yeah. And not to, it feels not like to last, that. the last, the last oh. day of voting was like a Thursday or something ago. And I uh, was talking to Joanna, who I'm guessing has been talking to you guys like little cold men. They're like, we're hearing like a surge for Anthony Hopkins, like might be happening. And I was like, if I was Anthony Hopkins, I wouldn't show up to the Oscars because do you want to be the person that wins over Chadwick Boseman? And I thought I was joking. Mm, you weren't. <laughs> but like, and he didn't and good for him. Like, He's also 83. Probably well, yeah, no, there's a lot of reasons Anthony Hopkins doesn't have to put up with that. But then also like they could have, the Oscars could have accidentally shoved poor Anthony Hopkins physically on stage at the end of this. And I don't know if that would have been fair either. So, you know, it's, it's, I'm not mad at it. It just doesn't They could have wheeled look... him out in the fucking Hannibal Lecter uh, mask. Right, and right. His, it his just, it, it didn't land as we care about social justice as it started in terms of like tone. I, I don't think. Um, I think it's, uh, not, it's not for, to it's... negate, 
Not to negate any of that. Hang on, let me correct myself real quick. It's four uh, black actors who have won Best Actor. That's all. Not not to not to negate any of that, and the Academy and Hollywood uh, on the whole's long history of systemic racism, um, which I, does not need to be belabored uh, any further. It's self-evident, but um, the I, I don't want to take away from the fact that uh, an Asian filmmaker has been the director of not only one best director, and best director has been an award of the last twenty years that has uh, been, I think, most. Uh, detached from white identity. Um, it's mostly because of the three amigos, but also Ang Lee and, uh, um, and now you have Bong Joon-ho and uh, Chloe Zhao. And it's the most the, international, yes. seemingly, of all the major branches. And the last two best pictures have both been directed by Asians, one now by a woman. Um, there has... Uh, and the last is something that Guy Lodge, a friend of the show, was, was tweeting about today, which I think is generally true. And this is sort of separate from the, the race conversation, but really just in terms of how the Oscars are recalibrating themselves going forward as um, smaller movies take the four, uh, that with the, the exception that proves the rule of Green Book, um, which was, you know, vintage Academy in every which way, and it typifies the kind of showing their ass when trying to prove how uh, progressive they are, move that Dave is in motivation that Dave is describing to the Chadwick Boseman thing. Um, the last few winners have all been really interesting films um, that in, in the case of a film like Moonlight or in the case of um, Parasite or, uh, you know, to an extent, Nomadland. I mean, these are films that are sort of pointing in the direction that everyone is arguing for. And, um, you know, I, I hated Birdman, but uh, it's a weird movie. Spotlight is uh, is more traditional Oscar bait, but it's a small and flashy film and a small and non-flashy film about a deathly serious subject that uh, doesn't cut any corners and hands it with handles it with journalistic integrity. Um, I mean, like, no, the, I think the, you start with like, 12 years a slave, like 12, 12 years, years a slave, a slave yeah. beats gravity. Like that combination of two front runners really felt like the new Academy beginning. And it is, uh, it has kind of gone was on gravity. The choice that was, right. that felt right to me at the time. And I feel like his only, been proven to have been better as history goes along. Like, thank God gravity did not win best picture over 12 years of slave. Um, (laughs) But yeah, I mean, I think, I think on the whole, you know, the the Academy has problems that are indicative of the industry that they exist to celebrate. Uh, But at the same time, um, as the movies become the movies, you know, in capital M become like bigger and more vapid and corporate and soulless. And even now when you have the best picture winners, uh, these indie rugged films that are presented by the Amazons uh, of the world and how funny it is to me, even though I said this in a meeting today and was screamed at that Hulu got a best picture winner before Netflix. Uh, I was screamed at because calling Nomadland a Hulu eh, movie is, yeah. is a slight, slightly squidgy way Netflix of doing it. Netflix did not have a very good night, right? They, not especially no. good. They cannot no. pull this off. They and really, it's hilarious. It is, it's hilarious. It's hilarious. They <laughs> released no, a lot it, of great movies. Mank got yes. that cinematography win, and that guy who shot Mank was his first movie, which is astonishing. His I had no first, idea. his first movie. Uh, it's very funny to me, Dave. Uh, a movie that we shall not name that you and I both worked on once upon a time, a short film. Uh, our camera crew has now been uh, the Oscar-winning camera crew of Mank. They're shooting the wow. uh, Adam McKay Lakers show for Showtime or whatever network's doing that. Uh, <laughs> everyone else is really moving up in the world. 
I'm sitting in the same place. Uh, but um, <laughs> you, you yeah, wanna, I don't know. If you want to re- win an Oscar, David, you're trying in the wrong places. Apparently, uh, but I, I, you know, I am not related to Pippa Ehrlich, who directed uh, everyone's favorite film, My Octopus Teacher. Uh, Man, people really, really soured on that. I still haven't seen it, but like it really became a I haven't villain seen it over the last couple. Of I days. mean, there's just too many good documentaries besides it. That's why. Yeah, I no, can't, I mean, you watch like, the clip time, from time, time, uh, watching time. the clip from time during that, being just being like, "You fucking morons!" Look at you, oh. passed up. <laughs> so disappointing. Uh, no, the yeah. Netflix thing is, as David said, is hilarious because, like, again, they are giving money to people that no one else is giving. They make a lot of really fascinating stuff possible. They release stuff that I really like, including like Miss Americana, which didn't even get nominated. But they Ugh. also spend R. like they spend all of the money in Hollywood on making these things happen. And they still can't do it, and it's it's. Fun. But do you think that they make great films? This is something that I'll be exploring on Polygon in a little bit about, just like. How to make or have the streamers made great films yet and, and kind of creating classics in this era. And I feel like Netflix is always coming up to the to the good, not great bar with even Mank. Yeah. I, I don't like that Mank that much. Or Trial Chicago 7. We've we've talked about oh, this. Trial, yeah, but I don't know if it's, it's good. The, but it's, it's the, like, is it great? Or any of is any of Netflix? I, I don't see great? the divide as being between goodness and greatness. Uh, it, the word classic kind of threw me when you said it, just because I do think Netflix has made a number of great films. Um, they just I wouldn't put them in the arena of the kind of thing that Hollywood is going to celebrate as a classic and they're going to get uh, fetid with Oscars. Like, I, I'm thinking of ending things uh, sure. is, is, for me, a great film, but was never really going to factor into the awards conversation. Um, but if they need to make a trial of the Chicago 7 and pump up their brand uh, in order to make movies like that, then... They released Fine. Private um, Life. That's a great movie. Private it's Life a great is movie. a great movie. It's a great movie. Uh, that, re- that really should have been nominated up and down. That's a real shame. Oh, I'm still furious about it. But do you life. think yeah. it doesn't take off because it's Netflix? Like, we, ha- that's a <sighs> yeah. film that should have gotten the push, right? So why didn't that... Why Listen, can't they cross the finish line? I I I do think the Netflix of it all is a part of it. I can't speak to the Oscar voter mentality, especially now that so many of those people work in the streaming space. I feel um, like it can, but, that's not it. I hear that so and, often. Yeah, and this year, and this season. year, when all the movies are on a level playing field, um, it, it is. Uh, you would think that the Netflix of it all would be less of a disadvantage than usual. You know, it didn't. Quite, it would be an advantage. It's the platform that most people have access right. to. Like, it's a right. hell of a lot easier to see anything on you Netflix. You just need than, to like, make Judas the best film of the Messiah. year. Right. Yeah. I mean, and even even last year with The Irishman, it was a real disadvantage because people were really holding it against it. The same as they, they kind of did with Roma, um, which had its own challenges. as just being slightly less accessible in some ways than uh, whatever the fuck one. I can't remember anymore, even though I probably was just talking about it five minutes ago. Uh, what beat Roma? Green uh, Book? Oh, Green Book. Uh, <laughs> Jesus. Um, and uh, yeah, but uh, there's, there is... Maybe it's just like not wanting Netflix, like the popular, beautiful, rich kid at school, to get everything that it wants. Yeah. I don't know what the philosophy is. I just don't think is, that's it. But they just don't make they, the yes. They don't make the great movie of the year. I think that's true. I mean, Roma, Roma is definitely flirting with it. Um, but uh, Trial of Chicago Seven, uh, you know, Ao Scott just gracefully decimated it in their his uh, post Oscar rap today, where he was talking about. <laughs> seven interesting movies nominated for Best Picture and also The Trial of Chicago I'm seven, so glad which... we gave David time to, to disable this uh, time. I, I, just, <laughs> listen, I'm end. just repeating what A.O. Scott said, the crit- critic of the New York Times. I mean, take it up with him. Uh, but the, uh, yeah, yeah, I agree with Patches for the most part that there hasn't really been a Netflix movie in the Best Picture race that felt like it was robbed, that it deserved to win and, and didn't, 
with the possible exception of Roma, certainly better than Green Book. But um, yeah, and then Hulu didn't seem to have that problem, even though Nomadland was definitely seen as more of a Sony Pictures Classics movie because they no handled, a Fox Searchlight yeah, movie. Fox Searchlight. You Fox Searchlight. Or sorry, search, sorry. Or Searchlight movie. <laughs> Whoa, uh, you goon. Fuck you, David, for misrepresenting <laughs> uh, that I mean, movie. Whoa, Sony Pictures Classics. The, the, Forever is Nomadland an next to it's David Ehrlich. <laughs> I never support get, Katie. Will live I support Katie taking me down for that one. Um, the searchlight aspect of No Man Land is hugely important because searchlight yeah. has been the gold standard for how you run campaigns for movies like No Man Land for how you make a Best Picture winner out of Twelve Years a Slave. Like they have made the spe- mm. they have produced the special movies. They have like made the things that like stand above the rest. Like you know you can imagine Parasite having been a searchlight movie. I mean it was a neon movie, but like it fits that bill so much. And then what's fascinating about this win is that the people who've been running searchlight for decades are leaving. Like they are leaving on a high note, but they announced it last week and is slightly scary to think of what's going to happen now that they're owned by Disney and um, you know, they might not have We were debating whether or not it's what it augurs that they are being replaced by their second in commands rather than two new people who are coming in from Disney corporate. Hopefully good things. Hopefully good things. That was my, my initial inclination was this means good things, but is, are they only taking those roles because Disney was comfortable with being able to push them around? I doubt it, but whatever. But it was a kind of a kick in the teeth this morning um, you know, putting aside the Amazon elements of Nomadland and everything else to get Disney's PR blast celebrating right. their best picture win this morning. When I was just like, really? Like even, even the scrappy indie movie about, uh, you know, nomads in America, it's, it's still a Disney. Yes. Problem. 10 minutes later, I got the new poster from Falcon and Captain America or Captain <laughs> or Winter Soldier. Right. From the which, same is why, now, which is why in some ways, you know, uh, you know, uh, the parasite win feels a lot sweeter for several reasons, but, um, a neon and a 24 winning best picture definitely has a little bit more. But here's the thing about nomad land. Here's the thing about nomad land. Um, here's our fern. Let's hear it from fern. Everybody fern. No, oh, okay. Not, All not right. Fern. We're not, Fran. I'm, not in, I'm not interested in Fran. this. I was going to say, gonna, here's, the here's the thing about nomad land. Really good we, way to refresh the cars land IP in Disney's California adventure. Yes. Uh, Wait, you're not going to like, you're not going to get into the goss with me, Katie. No, no, no Pat, like, I am. I wait, wait. Okay, I'm fine. Team, David I'm, might have information. I'm Katie. I, I'm team Katie up for this. Uh, Katie, did you, or was it was I just seeing things? See Frances McDormand tearing up when she was sitting at her table when Chloe Jaw won uh, Best Director. Am I making um, that up? Wow. We'll have to go back to the tape. So? I don't know. I'd have to look back at it. Wait, okay, where, where I, are we going with this? Well, just because that, you know, what I have heard uh, behind the scenes is that they had a lot of tension making the movie. Um, I'm sure it was not an easy movie to make. Um, and, but I, I, mean, I, I came heard out, there, there was a New York Times profile where uh, Frances McDormand tells a story about how Chloe Zhao Zhang wanted um, her family or other members of her family to be actors in the movie. And Frances McDormand was like, fuck off. No, like, I'm an actor. I'm going to be in the movie and then cast other people in the movie. I'm not just, this is not a family affair. I don't shit where I eat. And that rang in my mind when I saw <laughs> her snip. I mean, it was snipping. When Chloe introduced her as like, bring out our fern, and then Francis is like, I mean, Francis McDormand is so on her own wavelength that I, I, know, I feel I know. like for me to presume intent over what she's trying to communicate in the moment is on stage friends. like that is a That's fool's where I, errand. That's where I was rejecting this. Like, I just, I don't know. Nobody knows enough, and I, I just am want not that to be friends. 
but I, I have, I have, I have heard more than you saw in the New York Times profile that there was animosity between them. But I also felt like I was seeing Francis McDormand tear up in, with tears of pride over Chloe Zhao winning. Uh, and I honestly, uh, you know, I, I tend to really hate this kind of talk when we uh, – the whole Twitter <laughs> element of like getting freeze frames or gifts of people and projecting all these narratives onto them uh, I find pretty repulsive in much the same way as I hate it when film critics presume intent uh, for what filmmakers are trying to do. There's a promising young woman review going around written by a really, really bright um, – critic and not a film critic by trade but the the whole review just kind of rubbed me the wrong way even though a lot of the points they were making were so uh, eloquent and well thought out because they were just presuming so much intent on what emerald fennel uh, fennel was trying to do with the movie and i just find that stuff gross so but i am intrigued by the gossip patches maybe one day <laughs> polygon could the do scoop. the tell-all history yeah yeah i mean at the end of the day francis mcdormand hired chloe Zhao to to make inclusion so writers mad. So mm-hmm. so impressed by the writer, which people should see, and um, I'm glad they made this movie. I fucking love Nomadland. I'm really happy it won Best Picture. It's such a blessing to have like a great movie chiseled into the uh, to the history books. Of course, the asterisk next to mm-hmm. it will be like, but Anthony Hopkins was Anthony after Hopkins him, so yeah, it's a, it's a ha- it's it's three fifths an Oscar. <laughs> Jesus. Right, that does it for uh, this week's show. Next week, uh, I'm not going to be be here because I thought we were talking about Mortal Kombat and I ran away, but then we already talked about Mortal Kombat. But you guys are going to talk about something else in the meantime. Oh, we should say it. You guys are going to talk about Mitchells versus the Machines. Which yeah. Very good. You can watch it on Netflix. Yeah. It's very good. It is watch on, on Netflix. Netflix. Take that, HBO Max. It will be yeah. on Netflix this Friday. Yeah. Yes. So, yeah. Uh, watch April, it over the April weekend. 30th. Watch it over the weekend and uh, listen to these guys talk about it. In the meantime, tell the people who you are. I'm Matt Patches, senior editor at Polygon.com. Uh, I'm on Twitter at Mr. Patches. I'm urging everyone to go listen to my other new podcast that I'm producing right now. It's called Galaxy Brains. It's really fun. It's uh, totally different than this show, which I love, and we ramble and fight, and it's fun. And Galaxy Brains is slick and produced and has an interview element. Um, they would go well together. So go listen to Galaxy Brains. And if you want to listen to old episodes of Fighting in the War Room, uh, because you just watched the movie that we talked about years ago, you can do that on fightinginthewarroom.com. Listen to the old episodes. I'm David Ehrlich. Uh, uh, you can find me on Twitter, David Ehrlich. You can find all of us together in one happy family, all agreeing about the Oscars on iTunes. At Fighting in the War Room, please leave us a review. Uh, we will read it live on the show. It's a great time for everything, for everyone. Uh, it's it's what Steven Soderbergh would do. It's wild. You never know what's going to happen next. It feels like a movie. It's shot at 35 frames per second. 30 frames per second. 35 would be really wild. Uh, and in 2351, iTunes, Fighting in the War Room. And I'm Dave Gonzalez. You can find me on Twitter at DA7E. You can also find me on The Storm, a Lost Rewatch podcast where, as one reviewer mentioned, sometimes I lag in uh, energy because they're very long podcasts about Lost, but we're on our way into season six. Come join us. And that's it. 
Uh, I'm Katie Rich. You can find me at VanityFair.com and on the Little Gold Men podcast, where, as mentioned, we talked about the Oscars. Again, uh, you can't get enough of it. And you should definitely tune in uh, next week when we do our 2022 Oscar predictions, because those are really fun. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Katie Rich, K-A-T-E-Y-R-I-C-H. And we're all on Twitter at F-I-T-W-R, where you can pick your chosen war crime from the Oscar broadcast, or you can answer this week's lightning round question, which was... In honor of Separation, a movie I'm assured exists, what cinema's greatest ghost unfinished business? Thanks for listening, and we'll be back talking to you next week. Better make it Good Better make it